0: Thanks for being with us this evening, and I look forward to spending some time with you tonight. For those who are guests, my name is Wayne. I'm one of the pastors here. And on the first weekend of each year, we do something a little bit different than perhaps we do on other weekends when it comes to the message time. We kind of take some time to do some brief biblical reflection and then look at some things that happened in 2013, some things that are coming in 2014. And so you're here for—if you're brand new to First Christian— You arrived on a great weekend because we're going to tell you all the things that went well. (laughs) We're not going to tell you any of the places that it didn't go so well, and we're going to give you some ideas of where some areas where we hope it's going to go well in the coming year. And so welcome again to First Christian, as Brian has mentioned. We'd love to have a chance, I'd love to have a chance to kind of meet you face to face, so after the service, I'll be right here at the front if we'd like to have a chat together. I, I want to uh, begin our time together in what we call this annual event called the State of the Church by uh, just re- uh, going back to some, some a, a story that I've been following uh, for a number of months now. And I, you, some of you have heard me mention this before, namely this Mars One voyage that's going to happen in 2025. Are you familiar with this? I even chatted with some of you about this last week. I, I, I can't get... It's just a fascinating idea to me uh, that... 202,000 people around the world applied to this Dutch company to say, we'll travel, we want to travel as an astronaut. A group of 24 people are going to go to Mars, I assume all at the same time. And they had to do video um, applications and everything. And just this week was announced the 1,000 finalists and so there, and of that finalist group, it's a fascinating number. 297 of them are Americans. The next nation to be represented with large applicants is Canada. 75 Canadians applied to be Mars dwellers, and um, then it just then the next nation after that was India, of all things. But nonetheless, they've whittled it down now to um, a thousand different people have the potential to be Mars dwellers in beginning in 2025. And as I've mentioned before, the one caveat is that you get to go to Mars and they've, these engineers have got it figured out how you can get there. They figured out how you're going to live there. They just say, we do not have the ability to take enough fuel to get there to let you live there and bring you back. So if you go, it's a one-way trip. You have to be willing to be buried on Mars. And so they've got, well, 200, 202,000 people applied. Now they're down to 1,000. And it's occurred to me just this week, as I was thinking about the trajectory of our congregation and where God might be leading us, and thinking about how you know you can do a lot of things right, and if you miss it in just one area, it can, can be a problematic. It's occurred to me that the, this company, Mars One, has never put anyone in space before. They've never put anything in space before. Does that bother you to the least? It does to me because you, I mean, say you get down to me, I'm going to be one of the 24 headed off to Mars, and some scientists, and you've got to think about it this way, they're doing this by, they're, they're, they are putting this ship together based on the lowest bidder. <laughs> think about that. All right. They may have an engineer in out of Mongolia who's responsible for a little part like this, and if he is one-tenth of a decimal off, you might not get to Mars. You may take off, and you may see space for the rest of your life, which could be long or it could be very short because they got enough food going with them to live for many years. We're just going to keep on trucking, and Mars, we're going to miss it by a long, long way. Just one small misstep. It reminds me of something that Brian told me um, some time ago about his dad uh, used to manage a, 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 a golf course, which if you ever go golfing with Brian, just remember that, <laughs> that, that he grew up on a golf course. It's, if you're a golfer, that's a good, good way to do it. Here's what he mentioned to me some time ago, and so I've got to give credit to him. That His dad says that if you swing correctly, you can hit the ball. But if you're off by just one-sixteenth of an inch, just say that much, when you hit the ball, you don't know that you're off by one-sixteenth of an inch. And probably a foot out from after you hit the ball, a foot out, that ball is not really very far off the trajectory that you wanted it to be on. Does that make sense? But that one-sixteenth of an inch at the point of contact, as it makes its way 150 yards down the fairway, you suddenly discover you're not going down the fairway at all, but you are skimming across the water and deep into the pond just by, let's face that, a little minuscule space by about that much. If you had just tilted forward a little bit more, until you get the idea, right? Well, the Scripture talks about that kind of idea. In the book of Proverbs, a very well-known passage of Scripture that I'd like to draw your attention to on the screens this evening says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he'll make your path straight. In other words, you're not going to go way off course. Submit your life to the plans, to the direction, to the understanding that God wants to be engaged in who you are, in the way in which you are moving forward. Submit your plans to him and your pads are gonna be straight. And so basically, well maybe, maybe I could describe it this way because sometimes this, this passage has been used, I don't wanna say overused, but it's become a pithy statement. And you know, we have them on plaques in our, you know, and, and wall hangings in the house. and this, Can kind of be overdone without really paying attention to what's being stated there. Maybe I could put it this way. If, you, if you're a person going through life and, and God wants you over to be over by that tall stand there. And, and you head out and, and you say, okay, I'm, 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 I'm going to face this direction, but I'm just going to turn my feet that way. What happens if you keep walking? I'm looking at the goal, but my, I feel like I'm in a marching band suddenly. You know, those guys that march with their feet pointed one way and their bodies another way. And it doesn't take long to get off course that one decimal point for Mars 1, that one sixteenth of an inch for a golfer, that pointing my feet in the wrong way, I can lose sight and I can eventually be way off as to where God wants me to be. Here's what the writer of Proverbs had to say about that. Submit your ways to him and he'll he'll make your path straight. One of the things we have to remember about the book of Proverbs is that For the most part, the book of Proverbs was written uh, by an older man, a a fellow by the name of King Solomon. In his day and time was considered the wisest man who'd ever lived. And when he wrote the book of Proverbs, it was him reflecting on all the things he had seen and saying... Here's what I've observed. I've observed that those who, who seek the Lord, who submit to God Almighty, their plans, are, they land up straight. And so there's this sense of after an observation of life, here's a truth that stands the test of time that he's saying over years I've observed that if you submit your ways to the Lord, you stay on track. Now the truth of the matter is most of us for a matter, matter, matter of fact, all of us, Scripture says, all of us have messed this up, is that we have gotten off course a little bit along the way. And for some of us, we've gone on so long without walking with God that we are miles off course. In Scripture, the story of Christian faith is this, is that Jesus Christ can intervene in the middle of that being off course. We call that Christian conversion, where we say, I am way off base, my sin has caught up with me, and I need to backtrack. There's a theological word for that, it's called repentance. And I come back around, and I come to God, and I say, God, I'm so far off base. My sin has caught up with me. The sin of my parents, everything has caught up with me, and I should be over here, headed there, but the truth of the matter is, I'm here headed in, frankly, in this case, into the dark, into the black. And Christian conversion is when we turn around and we say, God, I'm sorry for this pathway that I've been walking on. Somewhere along the line I got off track. Will you forgive me? Will you allow me to get back track, get back on track? And through an experience called forgiveness, through the grace of God, somehow or other, we end up back on track. God works in our lives. Now, for some of us, that repentance involves backtracking a little bit, going back to the people we wrong, going back to the settings, and going back to the the situations where we just just messed it really badly. That's called repentance, going backwards and fixing some things. But in the long run, Christian faith is, I'm going to walk this way and I'm, I'm asking Christ to lead me. I'm asking him to arrange for, for my forgiveness before God. And as I repent of all of that and go back, then here's the promise. I'll walk the direction that God wants me to go. And I have really good news for you, friends. If it's your habit to seek God on a regular basis, it says, in all your ways acknowledge him. Submit to him, Proverbs says, and he'll make your path straight. Here's my experience. That on the days when I get a little bit off track, if it's my habit to regularly seek him, then I I usually figure that out when I'm just a few feet out, and I get to step back over and say, that's the direction that I need to go. The story of our church is this. We want each and every individual to know what it means to walk with Christ and him making our path straight the direction we want to go. We say it. we want to be people who are devoted followers of Jesus Christ, and they express that devotion through going, growing and serving together. And throughout the story of our church that goes back far beyond just 2013, there have been thousands of people who've seen that play out in their lives. And so I, just, I just want to kind of say the way in which each of us as individuals if we're walking with God, do all we can to stay right on his path, and if we get off a little bit, to at least have that regular daily contact with God that pulls us back in line. As a congregation, that's the same thing that we should be doing. When we get, if our congregation gets out of whack a little bit, as a congregation, if we're people of prayer and people of asking God to lead us, then we can get back on track in, a, in some very powerful ways. I would have to say... That throughout the past year, 2013, we've had some marvelous things happen. There were some things that happened that I go, "Uh, I don't know about that. But I know this about, you know, after a lot of years here, we as a church will discover what God wants us to do together. Um, This is a very important weekend for Leslie and me in that uh, as the staff and elders and admin team pulled a fast one on us and we didn't, Know that you all were going to celebrate and fade us or whatever you are on this 20th anniversary. but 20 years of working in this congregation, which is effective this weekend, I know this much about this church. If it's always been our congregation's desire to say, "God, what do you want us to do in the future?" As we reflect in the, in the past, maybe there's some things where we messed up, but as we move forward, are we on the path that you want us to be on? So if I could tonight, I'd like to kind of just bring you some things that where I see that we are on the... where we saw clearly that God was leading us in 2013, and then also give you some ideas of some potential for 2014 and see where God might be leading us there. So... With the idea of what are we as a congregation doing to follow God, and what are we seeing that God has done, let me point out some things to you from 2013. Well, here's the place to start. When you've got to bring this kind of message like this, you go, where's the sweet spot? Well, let's start with the babies. All right, Look on the screens behind me, and you can see the babies who were dedicated in our congregation in 2013. If some of you go, there's 28 of them. I counted for you, okay? And c- would you congratulate the parents of those who were, who were dedicated this past year? <laughs> and there's another baby dedication event coming up in just a few weeks. So uh, uh, when is that, Brian? Is it in February, I think? Uh, February ish ish. It's coming up. Yep. So, if you've got a new little one, we'd love to see you in a, in a very potent and powerful ceremony. Bring that little baby to the Lord and say, "God, thank you for this child." And we're making a, a pledge as parents that we want that baby, want this baby, to know Jesus in the coming days. And so, you could check that out in the future. So we had a great year in terms of babies and birthing babies, and there are more coming. I keep hearing every week if somebody else is pregnant, I go, you're kidding me. And it's a lovely experience, (laughs) lovely experience, for me at least, to learn that they are pregnant. (laughs) And up there, is there only one set of twins up there this time around? I don't, well, I see one set. I'm still not drinking the water because we still have far more twins than is normal, and so I'm not drinking the water around here. If you want twins, drink at the water fountain. You might be pregnant with twins later on this week. Who knows, all right? It's <laughs> so our experience. Lisa, you're shaking your head. No go, all right? <laughs> all right, you, there are some other good things that happened. Uh, we had some teams in Kenya this past year, and you've already seen a video about that. And I just, those of you who were involved in that ministry, thank you for being really brave. Because who are we kidding? It does take some courage to say, well, it's not the plane ride, and it's not the cross-cultural experience. It's the bugs that are this big and that could pick up your bed in the middle of the night and walk it across the room that make you go, okay, we're gonna do well over there. And uh, I wanna commend those of you who go. going, we've had plenty of people now go to Kenya and there are Kenya trips planned in the coming year and I hope if you're interested You'll take, a, take have a chat with Pastor BJ and see, hey, maybe you could go. And There's a, there's a, work team, a teaching and work team scheduled to go in June. All right, so we'll look forward to seeing you do that. We've had a great year in 2013 regarding our finances. Let me bring up the speed on where we ended the year. It's pretty straightforward. $2.4 million was our income in 2013, give or take whatever may still be coming through the mail in the next few days. Um, which, so we're somewhere around, call it $2.5 million, okay? And I just want to say thank you for your giving to the church. 1.7 of that is in operating expenses. Uh, the Beyond campaign is doing well. What I love about this is that our missions, endeavors account, as you can see, at $327,000, way more than 10% of the cost of our ongoing work in the life of our church. And thank you as our year-end um, Give 2013 campaign we were shooting for $50,000. Do you see what I see? Thank you guys for doing that. If you're new to the church, our year-end 2013 campaign was to say, can we set up some students in Kenya who are going to medical school and some students here in the US who are going to, into ministry training? And we set a goal of $50,000, and thank you for meeting that. Would you congratulate yourselves for that? <clears throat> So, in a nutshell, uh, 2013 was a wonderful experience, and there are some things coming before us in 2014 that you need to be aware of, okay? And I'm going to, some of them are pretty easy. Uh, One of them is really hard, all right? Let me tell you, first of all, that in the coming year, one of the things we will face as is our practice here at First Christian Church is that I'm going to be gone for three months, Our congregation has a practice that every five years, all pastors are required to take three months away and go do some study and some rest and some retooling for future ministry. We've learned that that's very helpful for longevity of our pastors. Many congregations see pastors turn over every 18 to 24 months. We have a very long-standing staff, and uh, we have a sabbatical policy for non-pastors Uh, for ministry leaders and, so to speak, non-pastoral members of the staff. We have a sabbatical policy for those who are pastoral members of the pastor's team. And so in 2013, I'm going to be gone for three months uh, studying some various uh, aspects of the life of our church. Uh, One of the things I'll be doing is visiting congregations around the country that are numbering, say, 1,500 to 2,000 in worship each weekend because it seems that's the direction we're going. And that's going to be new learning for us. So it's my responsibility in that regard to uh, figure out how other congregations further down the track than us in terms of growth and size, how they handle things like polity, staffing, finances, buildings, ministry, all that sort of stuff. That will be the task in front of me uh, during those three months. During the three months that I'm gone, this year, we are this time around, we are not bringing on additional staff to cover that. Pastor Brian will be doing the majority of the preaching. Uh, during those 13 weeks and being supported by the rest of the pastors on board. So I know that you will be uh, treated to some wonderful sermons. And he and I have chatted already about what the preaching plan is. And it's going to be some sweet stuff. Let me tell you what one of those sweet moments is. At the end of March, going into April, we're going to spend some time focusing on marriages within the church. We're actually bringing in some experts from outside the congregation to help us develop some new ministries in that area. And it's going to be marriage mentoring and uh, you'll be learning more about that come the end of March going into April, ways in which we can pour into the lives of marriages uh, in our congregation, both new marriages and long-term marriages, and see what God would do through us and for us in that area of ministry throughout 2014. Then um, something else I need to bring your attention to is that 18 months ago, uh, the admin team, the administrative team, and the elders team Uh, commissioned a number of us to look at the building needs, excuse me, of our congregation. Where do we stand in terms of our present space, our present parking lot, the growth curve of our congregation, and what's in front of us. With already uh, having four services a weekend, the question was, can we keep the growth curve going? Should we keep it going? Uh, What does that involve? Does it involve a fifth service? And so forth and so on how does all that play out with staff particularly and the demands on staff and volunteers to conduct uh, five services a weekend. We engaged with a firm out of, out of the Chicago area to give us some advice in that. They came back with this stunning news that the grounds on which we are standing tonight can support, like congregations like ours across the country, a worshiping congregation of 2,500 people per weekend given our present status and setting in the city and the number of acres we have. We, I about fell over at that, because I don't, you know, we have 11 to 1200 here a weekend now, but 2500 seems a long way, and how do we fit them all in this room? Our first concern was to say, if we were to do, have 2500 people, many, many of them would be children. And adults will squeeze together and will do, you know, will suffer some some, you know, some inconveniences but you don't dare ask parents to have their kids suffer inconveniences beyond a certain level. Does that make sense? Like, if you had, for example, 300 screaming children in the nursery and two people down there, and they were all the kids, it wouldn't work. So, (laughs) do you think? (laughs) So, (laughs) we started by looking at, if we were a congregation of 1,500, if we are, you know, who we are today, what would we need to do? And the first discussion was, you need to do something about children's ministry areas. And one thing would be to try and bring all F4, our elementary age, and our pre-K areas, which this at this time are averaging more than 300 people, kids a weekend. Uh, can they all be on one floor and where parents can do one check-in for the entire process? We started with that and then came back, well, if we had 300 kids or more each weekend all at one time, where would we put all the parents? So... You know how, you, how, you, you know how it is when you look at your house and you say, we want, we, want to, we want to change the floor in the kitchen. Well, then suddenly you're looking at the cabinets, you're looking at the floor in the living room, and you know how it just snowballs? So in the process of that whole discussion, uh, we were encouraged to th- give some important thinking to what a new sanctuary might look like. I want to remind you or inform you that when we moved into this room in 1996, the plan was to be here for five years. We passed that a long time ago. We went to multiple services and we poured money into programming and ministry, staffing, and so forth. And, and we built, as you may recall, those of you who were here in the early days, we built on the back end of the education wing, then we built on the south end of the education wing. But we're kind of at the point now where to do, it, do things further in order to support children's ministry spaces, we've got to do something with this room. So with great trepidation, I want to show you something tonight, okay? But I, I want you to throw up the next slide there, guys. Do you see the word ye- in yellow? What does it say? I'm not hearing you loud enough. Okay, so this, these are artist renditions of what? Potential. Okay, this is not in stone. This is, there were, a, and when we told the firm, when, when we mentioned, I mentioned to the firm out of Chicago that I might show these pictures this week, and they said, "Oh, please don't." Why? They said because while we think that's what it's going to look like, do not set this in stone. So, does everyone understand what the word potential means? Possible, and it may be scrapped altogether. But I want you to see something of what it might look like. All things being equal, if the funding was there, if the Lord leads us, if this is the direction we're going, and there is no timetable on this whatsoever right now, and I'll come back to the timetable issue in just a minute. Look, first of all, at what, it, what the building might look like from if you were looking at First Christian Church from the other side of MacArthur Road. What you see on the left-hand side is the present atrium. You notice, recognize all the windows and glass and the windows above, where we put the Christmas trees up there, Okay. What they're suggesting is a 900-seat auditorium south of that. Does that make sense? All right, you catch yourself. So if you think about where it is, it's out, that end down there. It basically takes up the back end of our retention pond and about 40, 30 to 40 parking spots. You with me? So, and, and the yellow word says potential, right? Okay, here's another picture of what it might look like from the south end. Now you're down way on the back end of the parking lot looking back and you get a sense of, you can see, like on the lower picture, you see that glass tower on the right-hand side. If you look on now, it's on the left-hand side. You've now come around to the back end of the building. What you are seeing is essentially windows at the very back of the stage. Does that make sense? And then finally, let me show you what it could look like inside. All right? And the sense is there'd be windows all across the top and um, it would have a floor that would seat about 500 and then a riser that seats about another 400 people, okay? So actually when you walk in the room, you're already halfway in the room. Now again, I want you to say "Potential." potential. Potential, okay? Potentially we might do this because as we looked at this can you lose that picture right away? Thank you. As we looked at that possibility, it came back to square one, what started this whole discussion, and that is kids' ministries. And there's this one thing to have a nice auditorium or a nice sanctuary, and we've got some understanding of what that might do. What does this mean for kids' ministries? And we've come to this conclusion that all things being equal, And if the Spirit of God is leading us this way, friends, I'm a little out in front of whether or not this full decision has been made, but I just want you to see the possibility, possible direction we're going. That we feel like, just as we told you, I told you in this weekend last year, that we would spend tens of thousands of dollars in this room. And we spent about $70,000 in this room with new equipment, paint, and so forth, okay? Okay. And I said we'd spend, about ten, we'd spend tens of thousands of dollars in this room, which we did in, um, in 2013. And if we move ahead with this whole process, this room becomes where the teenagers meet in the long run. So what we, But what we are suggesting in the coming year is to actually spend hundreds of thousands of dollars this time around bringing all the kids down to the main floor and redoing the entire education wing on the lower level. Okay. That's the beginning ideas. We have some funds set aside for it, and we're, we're, we're not at the trip pulling the trigger point yet as leaders, but for you to be aware, um, it would seem to us in 2014 that that's the direction we're going to go, and we're going to, if you will, build the base of another sanctuary because we'll work with our kids first. So we will be working in the education space this coming year. All right, one major thing but not the hardest thing. I told you we had two, two things to bring tonight particularly that take require a big breath. Let me, let me ask you to take another big breath with me or let me take the big breath. And if I can direct your, eye, your attention to the screen behind me with a passage of scripture that's taken from the book of Matthew. Last spring, uh, I was spending some time just reading and thinking and praying and kept getting drawn to this passage of scripture in the book of Matthew where Jesus is dividing the sheep from the goats. And uh, let me read it to you and I'll tell you what happened, okay? Verse 34, the king will say to those on his right, he's drawn to the sheep, come you who are blessed by me, my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And why are they getting this kind of pat on the back and this kudos from Jesus. And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And that passage of scripture rolled around in my brain for months, rolled to the point where one, I, I, Pastor Brian and Pastor John and I had some conversations. How are we doing as a congregation with visiting the sick and John does a great job and you know he <laughs> you, I know from the co- perspective of the congregation you know Pastor John he walks on water around here when it comes to this business of taking care of the sick in our congregation so I'm I'm trying to figure out why, what, what's going on why is this scripture really settling so deep within me and there's frankly some angst about it I didn't have an answer for it until September or so and this crazy Situation occurred. We learned that Dan Spruill, who's been the chaplain at DMH for a couple decades and done an outstanding job at DMH, we learned he was retiring. And it suddenly occurred to me what are they going to do to replace him and his whole system? And in fairness to the hospital, uh, he can, is it fair to ask, let me just say it the way it came to my head is it fair to ask a bunch of physicians? to figure out how to do pastoral care. Um, So long story short, I approached the hospital administration with that idea, with that question. And about three days later, Kevin Horth, who is the VP of um, Human Resources, called me back and said, Wayne, we wanna talk. Because this was the crazy idea I said to them. What about if you simply turned responsibility for all pastoral care at DMH turn it over to our congregation. And we'll take it on on behalf of the community and we'll get other churches involved and we'll hire somebody to to handle that. And then based on that, we'll see what we can do to provide care to the people who are in the hospital sick. Because St. Mary's, they've got a whole pastoral care department with a number of people employed there. But DMH was losing their main guy. Could we help out? You know, the story of the life of our church is we're always looking for ways to reach into the community. And suddenly it became apparent to me one of the reasons that the Spirit of God's been messing with you, Wayne, Camp, when it comes to Matthew 25, is this crazy idea. And so, to make a long story short, and I, it takes me deep breaths every time I think about this, beginning January 1, First Christian Church is responsible for all pastoral care at DMH. Can you take a big breath with me and say, Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Well, thank you. Now, I need to tell you, friends, I'm scared spitless. I am, I'm scared spitless because we could mess it up very badly. I'm more scared about this or about as scared as I, with this as, we, as I was when we went on the radio for the first time. It's, it's brand new ministry for us. There's no model, the radio show that we have, there's no model of that being done around the country. And we don't know any model of around the country where a congregation says, we'll take care of everybody who's sick at the hospital. We, I don't know of any church that's doing that. And the job description that we've written with DMH is this. First Christian Church is responsible for the spiritual and emotional care, if you will, of all patients, 400 of them a day, and 2,000 employees. Catch that, 2,000 employees. This is not, hear me clearly, this is not a way in which we're saying we're going to grow the church and put, put bodies in pews. We're gonna to have to work with other congregations. We're gonna to have to figure out ways that when people come from, to us from other faiths, what do we do when a Muslim comes to us and says, I want you to call the Amman. Um, What are we gonna do if a Buddhist comes to us? We're gonna to have to figure all that out. And so I need to tell you, I'm a little bit freaked out about the fact that it all came together and that this crazy hair I drew, uh, that, I, that I grew, is now suddenly reality we got a really steep learning curve, but we believe um, that within the next couple of weeks we'll have somebody on board to handle this from an administrative point of view and for kind of a charge person, and we'll look forward to introducing that person to you in the coming weeks as that employment process is walked, worked through, but we're not going, this is not an, a way for us to leverage public relations we're not, you know, this person's not walking through the hospital, passing out business cards that says he's a first Christian. This is us as a congregation saying, can we come behind and take care of what Matthew 25 calls us to do, to take care of the people? When did you visit me? When I was sick and in the hospital. Pretty straight up, pretty, pretty easy answer from my perspective of whether or not we should do this. Pretty terrifying when I think about the responsibility. So, in that end, we've got a tall a lot of tall stuff before us this coming year between the, the kids' space downstairs and DMH and getting it up and running. And the DMH thing, we're going to take a run at it. And if, if we fall flat on our face, we'll fall flat on our face and we say we couldn't do it. But if we can do it well and we can help other churches to get engaged in that, praise be the Lord. And frankly, frankly friends, I don't care if people know that it's First Christian Church that's doing it. That's not the point. There's nothing in the scriptures that say, and you had to tell everybody you were doing this. It's, you did it to the least of these, and so I'm inviting you in the coming year, coming year to pray with me as we take on that responsibility. It's a tall order, a very tall order, but I think and I believe that God's brought it to us at the right time in terms of our life together and who we are as a congregation. We've got the resources to pull it off and see if we can do it. So here's what I'd like to do tonight, and I'm running way, way, way late. Can you hang with me about, we got about maybe 10 minutes at the most. You all right with that? It's not snowing yet, I don't think. <laughs> uh, look, I'm looking. I don't see any snow. <laughs> I want to do something that's a little bit freaky in, in a congregation outside because you never know how to control this. But I'm going to pray, and there's a microphone right there. BJ, would you get it up, Just to make it so it's a little taller, so it fits somebody, all right? Not as tall as you. <laughs> Okay? And here, here's what we're going to do, which is, again, I'm going to invite, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite two people. This is ad hoc, all right? Two people to step up and say, and just offer a brief prayer for our congregation for the coming year. And this is not the time to preach in the middle of a prayer. This is not the time to say what you like or don't like about the church in the middle of a prayer and use the prayer as an announcement or anything like that, Okay? <laughs> This is for you to come and lead our congregation in prayer about what God has done in our life in 2013 and where we're going in 2014. And I need two brave souls to lead us in that regard, okay? So I'm going to open in prayer. And somebody's heart is already pounding and saying, I know it's me that I'm supposed to lead. So uh, we're going to say just two tonight, and we'll go from there, all right? Would you pray with me? Father. I thank you for this congregation that I get to be part of and for the cool things that happen here week after week, day after day, God. and I marvel at what you do in our life together and your gracious gracious acts of mercy that when we get off track as individuals, when we get off track as a congregation, Lord, you pull us back. Sometimes, God, it's required repentance and Lord, maybe there's someone here tonight yet who doesn't yet... Have that walk with you figured out. Call them to you. Call them to repentance. Call them, God, back to a straight, straight, a straight path with you. And Lord, we pray that in the coming year, with all the opportunities that are before us, that we as a congregation would do the same thing, that we would remain straight. We, we, we would follow you just directly. We're submitting our plans to you. We, we, Lord, we, we earnestly have asked you every day, that our church would be your congregation to this community and be the personality of our congregation meeting the needs of the people of our community whose personalities fit ours. and Lord, now we've got some tall orders in front of us. We've got our kids' ministries, Lord, and this stuff at DMH. God, grant us favor, we pray. Grant us favor, and we ask this in Jesus' name.
1: Father in heaven, I just want to thank you so much for our shepherd of this congregation and the vision that he has for our church. You've led us and blessed this church throughout the years. And you've blessed our pastor and the vision that he's had for us.
2: I thank you for all the ministries and the pastors that we've had. I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ and their willingness to be your servants. I pray that people will step up for this ministry and that you will bless it. And I thank you, Father, for all the blessings that you've given us throughout 2013 and for the blessings that you will give us throughout 2014. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So Lord, here we are tonight, and we just pray... Blessed 2014. I just pray that this year, as we venture into these unknown territories, I pray that this town and the towns around would be awe-stricken, that they would look at all of the things that are happening in the lives of people. And I pray, Lord, that it would be so ridiculous. That people, that people would say there's only one way this could ever happen is if God was in control of it. They would not look at First Christian Church and say, wow, they're a cool church. But they would look at God Almighty and say, God did this. So I pray that for this year. I pray that you continue to bless our pastors and their families, put a hedge of protection around them. Pray for leadership at all levels. Father, pour out your spirit into our hearts. For every day that we live, I pray that we would be like a little Christ, that we would minister in your power and in your truth. And I, in all of God's people.
0: Amen. Amen. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Lisa. Before you go, I want you to see one thing that I think is kind of the capstone to who we are as a congregation. And uh, in the long run, it's all about having people know Jesus and following him and learning what it means to be devoted to him. Watch the screen behind me for something's gonna just jazz you all the way.
1: God's presence wash over me like his hand was on my shoulder letting me know that it was okay to feel the way that I felt about stuff and so then it kind of was all just so surreal and real and so that's when I knew okay I need to do this because it's time now like I'm ready for it now with the whole surprise thing like you didn't have to have it planned or anything the feeling on that day was just good in October 2012 and I think that to us it was or at least for to me and I think when we talked it was more um, it was just really important we got married um, and that was you know proclaiming that we were going to be together um, letting God you know run our relationship and, and that type of thing but the baptism to me was just as important.
2: It was important for me for us to be able to do it together that was What was important to me because I think you got baptized when you were a child, Mm -hmm. but I had never been baptized before, so it was really important for me that we did it together. I thought that was something that was really cool and really important.
1: I think that day, it wasn't necessarily a nervous feeling, but it was one of those, you know, it was going to be a a day that was important and and I'll say life-changing. Coming out of the water was you know one of those feelings that um, you can't describe. you know I was baptized when I was little, uh, but it's different when you get to make that decision on your own. and then getting to watch her after me was uh, you know one of those experiences that I'll have for a long time. You know. people well, know that I believe in Jesus. Did you, tell anybody, did you talk to anybody at school about uh, when you were baptized at all? Well, I told my teacher. Yeah, what did your teacher say about it? Yay. Gay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, cool. It's pretty cool, right? get baptized to tell people you believe,
0: believe in Jesus. That's the task. <laughs> we want the community to know we believe in Jesus, folks. That's what's in front of us in 2014. God bless you. Keep it safe tonight and tomorrow.